0: Therapies Podcast. This is your host, Guy Hernandez, licensed and marriage family therapist in California. I'm very excited today. I have my first video podcast uh, that I was able to do via Zoom uh, since this whole uh, COVID situation uh, had to adapt to um, the circumstances and uh figure out how to do zoom videos a little bit better and record them and edit them and etc. So anyways, uh on today's episode, we have a colleague of mine Dan Maine, licensed marriage and, marriage and family therapist. Dan Maine uh became licensed in 2015 and EMDR trained in 2016. Don't worry Dan Maine is going to tell you what EMDR means in this episode. In addition to running a part-time private practice in Walnut Creek, California, now via telehealth in California, Dan is also a program supervisor at Community Options for Families and Youth in the Educationally Related Mental Health Services, a.k.a. ERM's department. Dan is currently pursuing his certification in EMDR and participates in ongoing consultation with an EMDRIA certified trainer in his private practice, he provides individual psychotherapy for ages 14 and up for those looking for help with symptoms of anxiety, trauma, and depression. Also to mention in this episode, Dan may, mentions a book uh, called High on Arrival. It's not as much about uh, a book that explains EMDR, but a narrative of one individual's journey and how her childhood trauma has affected her. Um, another book mentioned in, in this uh, episode is uh, Peter Levine's Awakening the Tiger, which I highly recommend for uh, a book on trauma. Um, there will be resources posted in the show notes, of course. Uh, and considering now that this is actually recorded, the, this audio version will be available on the platforms as usual. But there's also a video portion of my interview with Dan via Zoom on my YouTube channel under Therapy's Podcast. So if you go to my Instagram, my link is in my bio for Therapy's Podcast to get to my YouTube channel. There's only two videos because I am slow to this game of adding and editing and creating videos on YouTube. But uh, we're getting there. Um, same thing on my website. it's you know, I'll get to it and I'll keep working on it over time and hopefully it gets better and better. Uh, but it is a one-man show and... You know, i do this uh, in my spare time when I could find it, which has been great. Um, something else to mention is, uh, please remember, as always, Therapy's podcast is not intended to replace or serve as your own mental health uh, service or pr- provider or treatment or for diagnostic purposes. It is uh, primarily for informational and entertainment purposes. And it's also hopefully just to spark interest in taking care of your own mental health and um figuring out ways that you can uh begin the conversation in your life or figure out what your mental health journey will be. Um so do please do remember that if you do need professional help, to please seek it in your area. Um as always, please please like, share, repost uh any information on Therapies Podcast from my Instagram at Therapies Podcast uh, or Facebook page Therapies Podcast. Uh, if you'd like to be a guest, please reach out. You can reach out on either of those forums. You can email me directly at the Therapies Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, anyone that leaves reviews, I'll still write a thank you card as long as I'm able to get your information and I'll send out some stickers and maybe some other stuff to you as well. But anyways, hoping to continue to add to the catalog of of guests. This is now my fourth interview, uh, technically fifth guest as one of my interviews was with two guests. But yeah, uh, with the Zoom I'm getting more familiar with, uh, I might be able to expand how, how many guests I'm able to have on and, and might have greater access to doing interviews with people. Um, anyways, I hope everyone's staying safe and healthy out there. Uh, intro song today as always by Brett chance someone up there likes you an outro song for today we are going to do uh fresh air by charmer and clay and you can find all of their music on spotify and other platforms so please go support them as their music is awesome and we're thankful for the opportunity to be able to uh use it here on the podcast and uh a lot of people that have reached out to me find that music very relaxing and uh, fitting for the for the content of the episodes. Well, anyways, without further ado, please enjoy um, this interview with Dan Main, LMFT, and stay safe and healthy. Talk to you next time. So thanks Dan, Uh, good to talk to you, good to see you, Um, uh, yeah, so I think with uh, this topic of EMDR and trauma um, that it's probably best and what we've talked about too is to start off with some of the definitions you like to use, I know various clinicians use different definitions of trauma or how they um, help clients understand what trauma is, Uh, but yeah, I'll let you go and kind of take it away uh, from here.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, so one of the, uh, definitions of trauma, I mean, cause I do think it's becoming more widely known just by like, you know, the, the public, um, but I just in my process of getting trained in EMDR, which I was trained in 2016, I, I went through the basic training. So basically what that means is, uh, it's a total of about five days. Of training of a workshop um, that's split up into two parts. Um, so you do kind of like two and a half days, and then you do 10 hours with a consultant, an EMDR um, internationally association uh, trained consultant who just that's with someone who has like a lot of training in EMDR. Um, they've gotten certified. I'll kind of talk about the levels. They've gotten certified and then they've gotten a trainer certification. And so you spend 10 hours with, uh, EMDR trainer, then you go back and you do some more, you do kind of round two of basic training. And once you complete all those, you, uh, have, cause you're considered EMDR trained, and that's what I've done. Um, and then, so I'm going on to try to pursue certification. So, um, it's along that whole training, you know, you get introduced to like a lot of really amazing, um, trauma specialists. People who are, you know, specific to EMDR—that's that, kind of where they are spend their time. But also, just people who are are just, in, you know, interested in other therapies as well. So Janina uh, or Janina Fisher is one of my favorites, and she has this yeah. uh, this workbook that I that I use for people who are um, for clients who are like interested in that. And she just has a really good list of symptoms to identify trauma. It's just this basic list. Things that these are, are, this isn't necessarily a definition of trauma, but if you've experienced these symptoms, you may have trauma. So her list is depression, irritability, loss of interest, numbing, decreased concentration, insomnia, emotional overwhelm, loss of sense of future, hopelessness, shame and worthlessness, little little or no memories nightmares flashbacks i think that's kind of what we typically know of as like a ptsd symptom right hypervigilance mistrust panic attacks chronic pain headaches substance abuse eating disorders feeling unreal or out of body which uh i'll talk about dissociation that's kind of a definition of dissociation Mm -hmm. uh self-destructive behavior loss of sense of who i am so that's like a pretty big list but I think it's helpful just to get us, like, if you're any one of those things could be, um, you know, uh, a result of like what you experience after you've experienced trauma. Right. Um,
0: and I think yeah. it, a, a good point, too, is like, as you mentioned, that trauma is kind of becoming more known and like the, um, I don't know, social dialogue. Uh, and, oh. and, I think I feel like the I've heard dissociation come up more and some of these more mental health like um, uh, topics uh, and even PTSD. And sometimes like it's thrown out there like, oh, I, I got PTSD over this. And, and it's used, you know, somewhat, I think, hyperbolically or like just to describe something. Um, yeah. But I, I think it's important I, I uh, to note, too, is like if you're listening to this or watching this is you can hear those things. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean like you need clinical help, right? Like there's yeah. there's definitely uh, waves and degrees to all of this. And, and I think you or how I or uh, kind of to the ethical standards of uh, treatment or medical necessity really comes down to like, is this impacting your basic life functioning, right? Um, yeah. So I always want to throw in that kind of disclaimer, like you may hear these things and be like, oh, my gosh, I have that. And it's like. Yeah, that, yeah, you know, <laughs> I had a
1: nightmare. I must have had trauma that I don't know about. It must have been abused. Or... Yeah, yeah. Right. It's not. That's a that's a really good point. I mean, um, it, it it's something to to consider, but it doesn't necessarily mean, yeah, that you've had trauma. A lot of these things could just be very typical uh, things happen in our daily life that doesn't necessarily mean you've had trauma. A lot of times, um, and, and and yeah, I I, I think. There are many people who go through traumas and then they recover. Mm -hmm. And so they don't necessarily need therapy. Uh, A lot of people just have a healthy response. So EMDR therapy is a lot, I think, for people who do need help would be like, they really feel stuck in it. It's really impacting their relationships, their work.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: They can't seem to like, they don't feel like their typical techniques, self-soothing techniques aren't working and then that's when I would say, hey, look, you know, you might want to try to look for somebody
2: to
0: yeah. get some help. So w- with that, then I imagine when uh, clients are seeking help from you, uh, on one end, I, I imagine people are aware that there was a traumatic event or maybe complex trauma, like ongoing trauma that they're there to get help with. Um, so maybe mm-hmm. they're they're bringing that in. But are there times where you're working with clients and you, you kind of have to educate them on the trauma and like you're and they're not really they didn't come to you knowing that they went through a traumatic event and you're kind of helping them understand uh
1: yeah yeah for sure i mean um i can think of a recent client um more he was in his kind of like late teens who um yeah i mean he he didn't necessarily describe it that way i think Mm -hmm. he described what he was experiencing uh or what he experienced like once, once we went through uh, our, my my process, because mm-hmm. uh, what what I ended up doing, you know, I, I started seeing this client for, um, I think it was originally around. Um, he had, I think, a, 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 a suicide attempt, mm-hmm. and um, he went and He didn't. It surprised him, and so he came in to try to understand more about that. Um, he didn't really know anything else about what what was going on, other than that really surprised him that he felt that way in, in an acute time. Right. So as he's talking, he's talking about his history, his history, his past is just his past. Right. And when he talked about some of these things that have happened, like in school, um, that he, I think, uh, played off, I think in some ways as like just kind of typical, maybe teasing or things like that from other kids that, and then, you know, I'm listening to it and, and he and I are realizing together in a lot of ways you know this is beyond what's typical you know like that sounds like it was really hard on you and he started we started to connect the dots of how it actually is impacting his present thoughts about peers so he was in a place where he was ready to hear that it felt really therapeutic for him to to identify those incidents as trauma but that doesn't mean that everybody will and so that's where i think there you got to Use your um, senses about whether they're ready to identify that as trauma or that's just their that's their history, you
0: know. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point too. Is especially we think of complex trauma, and what I mean by that for the the listeners is like if you're you know you went through like persistent and consistent maybe childhood abuse that was like inescapable, and maybe you went you you were exposed to a lot of community violence, and mm-hmm. that's just your normal. Right, yeah. so sometimes it's like it, it can come off as like stigmatizing, um, yeah. or even dismissive uh, of like acknowledging like that was just their life and what they were exposed to. Um, like, how do you, you know, te- you know, it's it's hard to kind of tease that apart. Um, but you you could also bring in like you're saying is understanding how uh, some of those events and and maybe how the person adapted over time due to those events. Um, uh, and they develop these coping mechanisms that help them survive there. And then we talk about like, and then maybe after you get out of that environment, uh, those uh, those coping mechanisms may no longer be functional. Um, yeah. And that's kind right. of a hard switch to make, right? And and I'm curious yeah. about your definition of trauma. I'll, I'll mine briefly, some, and I'm sure it evolves of how I, depending on the client I talk to or just... Depending on the words that are coming to me that day, is yeah. I basically say is like you know you've gone through an uh, uh, such an intense stressor that um, your your brain and body figured out a way to survive and adjust to it to like get through that moment and uh, because it was so overwhelming, um, but it left an imprint on you that that you might be carrying still and that imprint. Or alarm system i usually say is maybe more sensitive sensitive than it used to be and is kind of looking for uh, for future situations that that um might feel threatening like like that situation or like those situations um i guess that was well, a a little bit more long-winded than i thought it was gonna be but yeah i'm curious not, no i mean
1: I, I i think that's a very brief i think that's as brief as, as i you can get i mean i think uh it's, that's the thing about trauma is it's really challenging to define briefly. Um, one of the things that, you know, um, I think about is, that, and, and one of the, my trainers that talks about is she kind of puts it into three. She puts it in on a spectrum, you know, into these kind of zones. So she would say, like, there's primary. It would be one zone that would be like a single, single incident trauma, like a car accident or mm-hmm. something like that. It started and ended and, and it's over but it went at, it, but so that's, that would be one kind of definition. And then there's secondary, which would be, um, a certain, you're getting towards a more complex trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, it's more, uh, patterned, uh, but each one of those, each one of those events was, was traumatizing. Mm-hmm. And then tertiary uh, would be the, uh, folks who identify with dissociative identity disorder. Mm. You know, they're essentially, in a, almost an entirely constant state of reacting to trauma that was childhood and developmental and uh, so it's kind of those three zones so depending on what, what where the client is when they come in uh, and I'm taking a history uh, i going to have a, a, a few different methods of how I take the history mm-hmm. that adjust where how I'm going to approach or are we going to go straight into you know, the desensitization form of the protocol, which we can talk about, uh, or are we going to start with more like stabilization
2: Mm -hmm. which is
1: more of what I would do in terms of like resourcing so that we could do the desensitization so that we can process those disturbing memories. So defining trauma, it's hard because I, because talking about in and of, without talking about interventions is hard also. For sure. Um, Another thought, idea around Defining trauma is like the the trying brain. You know, you have the frontal lobe, the limbic system, and the brain center, brainstem. So trauma uh, could, would be an event that's stuck in raw form mm-hmm. in your amygdala, and and it's it's playing out. Um, that's why people sometimes talk about like uh, it's super vivid because it's still in raw form, meaning it hasn't processed the way other memories in our our lives have processed. Like. You know, when you're driving to work, you don't remember how many stoplights you uh, went through to get to work. Like you just went to work. But in a trauma memory, like, you know exactly how many branches were on that tree Mm -hmm. that was right next to you in that memory, because it's completely raw. Mm -hmm. It's completely raw data. So that is beneficial if there's like a tiger uh, next to that tree. Uh, and that's why, you know, that history that we had, that was really helpful, but now we're at work, now we're just kind of living our daily lives, and seeing things that trigger that, it's going to impact your your relationships, so, yeah.
2: Yeah,
0: that, you know, um, it makes me think of definitely uh, some different books I've read on trauma, and I th- I'll probably save that for the end, but I, I think saying it out loud helps me to hopefully come back to it, um, yeah. but uh awakening the tiger i think by peter levine had some really good examples of how to understand that um but yeah maybe we'll come back to that because i do definitely want to get to uh you know the uh, why you're here of the things you want to talk about so i think we got a good baseline of kind of what uh trauma is real quickly i know i've discussed this in the past for uh listeners and we'll probably talk about it more and more but like amygdala amygdala being the fear response like kind of um our sc- our screener or sensor of uh, sensing the uh, sensory uh, uh, input that is existing in the world through smells, taste, sights, sounds, feel, and kind of preparing us or like screening the environment uh, to look out for dangers, right? So when I'm talking, so that's uh, what Dan's talking about here. But when he says amygdala, and there's a lot of um, and I I really do think it's important, and I found it very powerful, and I've really gotten into talking about the brain more and more with. With clients and I, you know, I don't do the EMDR, but of them kind of understanding um, why their responses are the way they are, um, yeah. versus kind of being stuck in this um, feedback loop, like why am I like this? Why can't I get over this? And then it just really creates a layer of shame and judgment against themselves, and yeah. it, you know, that those emotions really only kind of um, suppress us more and more. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Go ahead.
1: It's super helpful to like, I mean, I agree, like, it's such like a healthy separation, you know, like your brain is doing this, like this is, there's nothing wrong with you. Your mm-hmm. brain is actually, you know, doing exactly what it's supposed to do. You know, when we see danger, we want our brain to, 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 to turn off our front. Like we don't have time to think about, you know, this dangerous mm-hmm. thing, uh, uh sometimes, we need our brainstem, just uh, which is basically involved with our motor functioning,
2: right.
1: to just turn on and get us out of danger. We got to get out of the house if it's on fire. We don't have time to think about it. So our brains, it's like, and then uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a really healthy thing to to just distance ourselves if that's really if we're attacking or like, oh man, I I feel so stupid. Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep? making these uh harmful have these harmful reactions to things right it's like no this is your brain we just need to like help your brain Mm -hmm. uh and i think in a lot of ways emdr really does utilize uh your own your own brain's uh healthy functioning to heal itself so it's yeah
0: well what what a great segue to talk about how it does that um i think uh, let, let's start off with what that acronym means uh, or what it stands for it's a, it's a big one because even me like I have to I don't yeah, I to, like, remember, I, I'm like um, okay so yeah we'll, we'll start there yeah. so
1: uh, <laughs> it stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing um and it was developed by I was just reviewing this but so Francine Shapiro hmm. uh, you know, developed this method in 1989 that was the first time that she published A study um that 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 showed this this effectiveness on specifically traumas and and it's really expanded over time over the you know you think it's it's been around for for 30 years now so a lot of people have created new uh adaptations to what she created and it's really expanded the the level of uh and like just the um array of ways and, and just symptoms it treats has really expanded it's been really cool um so i feel like it's kind of a cool therapy in that way you're kind of on the forefront people aren't creating new new protocols yeah uh, as a result of this so and the eye movement part uh is related to the the action kind of the what it's kind of like stereotypically known for mm-hmm is the bilateral stimulation using your eyes going back and forth mm-hmm. so side to side and what that does what francine shapiro said noticed is that um when you move your eyes side to side and the therapist can help using like a wand or or you know there's other things i have that other people use it can be a, like a light bar mm-hmm. you can use pounds you can use all this stuff but when you do that, you essentially enhance the the right brain and left brain working together while you engage in in this protocol mm-hmm. and while you engage with these memories. So it has a tendency to uh, help you um, process disturbing memories mm-hmm. in a in a way that leads to you know positive or more um, new understandings. A lot of the times, literally, just the distress level simply goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, so the eye movement, it, you know, even though that's kind of what the, the EMDR is, it's not just eye movement. It's also there's also other ways to do create bilateral stimulation. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, you think about like your right brain, which is more of like your emotion brain, and your left brain is more of a logic brain. It's so very oversimplified. You know, yeah, <laughs> but when you add those two together and you stimulate them together, working on a disturbing memory, it enhances your more adaptive thinking uh, about these old memories.
0: That's so. that, and I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're big into Dan Siegel as well, as he would call that in- integration, right? That you're integrating yeah. both sides of your brain to um, to uh, give you a more balanced approach to, to life or whatever the stressor or problem is, and mm-hmm. um. Yeah. Bilateral stimulation uh just being, and correct me if I'm wrong, um well for one, stimulating both sides of your brain, but it uh can that also be in terms of uh movement and exercise, uh like running or something yeah. like
1: that. Yeah, and you can do so like uh uh Laurel Parnell is is kinda of pretty famous for, you know, doing tapping in is her mm. book, and she talks about you can do it to yourself, you can do it uh you can tap on both sides of your body Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and this is nice one because it's kind of like a hug and so for those who also kind of adds like a comforting Mm -hmm. um, but yeah you can do physical sensations bilaterally so auditory uh, and 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 in a way and one one person has described even the eight step protocol and EMDR actually uh, does kind of go through different sides of the brain as you go through the protocol Mm -hmm. so even that is bilateral wow Uh, So it's a very much, uh, you know, they're trying to get you to to use both sides of your body to encourage, I mean, like it's going back to think about like infants crawling, you know, I mean, just trying to encourage these things that are very natural and healthy and stimulating those things along with um, these disturbing memories, because it's just going to enact these healthy, uh, adaptive, again, new, new insights about these memories.
0: okay that's um yeah it's um it's it's definitely something i i I would love to get trained in and it's because when i think of emdr too and i didn't really have an experience with it until a few years back when i i was someone performed the wand on me um Mm -hmm. so sometimes it's hard to it's hard to like almost explain sometimes of like how this works but um yeah. You know, there there is something. It kind of kind of reminds me of like the old like watch, you know, and like hypnotherapy, yeah. right? But there, yeah. for me, I, it, there was something hypnotic about it. But like, it also put me in the place to process what was going on. Um, yeah. And and I yeah. hard to explain, but I did feel integrated, right? Like I felt like I was able to be regulated and look at the stressor, like in my mind, if that makes yeah. sense. But um. Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely and um i mean i think it it uh you know i'm, I'm forgetting exactly mm-hmm. there they did kind of talk in my uh training about the difference between hypnosis and emdr but and i'm forgetting it oh, all. Right. <laughs> but i i think one of the um things it does is like as you are um just i don't know how deep you want me to go into the into the emdr uh protocol at this point but i mean it, it as, a, as I think I think of hypnosis and like, um, I, I don't know that there's like a, an eight steps included in it. I, yeah. I think I don't know. I don't really know a lot about about hypnosis. I think it's. I think there's actually a lot of benefit to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I only. I just know a lot more about about what EMDR is. These steps are, are are much more targeted. Right. It's a very directive, manualized type of therapy. I mean, there's a lot that. I'm reading the client and definitely attuning and trying to to meet the client where they're at. Mm -hmm. But it's also like, there's definitely, you know, I think there's a lot of people who would say like in one example, somebody did EMDR one way and somebody did it another way. And they would often say there could be clear examples of like, no, that that's not the protocol. Right. So it is very manualized. There is a target. There is kind of like a, um, um, and, and, and it just includes so many of my favorite theories and methods. I mean, it, I, I'm a big fan of uh, and practitioner of mindfulness and and mm. the main goal of EMDR is to live in the present moment. Right. You know, stirring memories um, can just they create uh, they kind of hijack you from the present moment in a lot of ways. right. I love that it it's the goal is essentially for you to be mindful. Um, I like also. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it also uses cognitive behavior therapy in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, you know. So one of the uh, steps includes creating, like, once you have a memory, mm-hmm. um, what's the negative cognition that you are telling yourself about as you think of that memory? That's one of the questions. And then what's the, what's the preferred thought mm-hmm. or belief that you'd like to have about yourself? So there's a cognitive uh, part of it, um and then uh, you know so you have the mindfulness you have the cognitive part there's um another aspect of just um just the brain science mm-hmm. i think it's just super cool the emphasis and the explanations about uh like it um i don't i don't know all of the the neuroscience but a lot of people um uh, books and stuff i've read talk about that that uh, EMDR, one of the main mechanisms of change in your brain is that it uses REM, you know, that the, right. that the bilateral stimulation cre- is really, and, and when our eyes are moving at night, you know, there's sort of like we're processing things from the day, you know, right. we're putting things in the trash we don't need, storing things in, you know, recent or old, old memories that we do need later. And we're kind of doing that same thing. I think we're enhancing the same, actions that REM sleep uh we're just doing it thoughtfully and Mm -hmm. intentionally
3: right yeah
0: Yeah. that that was going to be a part that i i I remembered from my like brief understanding of it right is that uh going to the idea of sleep and REM sleep of the importance of that that uh happening is the the brain um cleaning it's cleaning and organizing itself to, to to make that brain and that person uh you know like stay functional right? Like cut the stuff you don't need and um right. and reorganize everything else and going back to that idea what you said earlier of like the a traumatic event or events being raw data just stuck it's like it hasn't been organized yet and it's, and it's like in my mind i think of it as it's just kind of floating and like circling and waiting to be um to be like seen again and that's why it maybe it keeps coming back up and up because it hasn't actually been like cleaned and stored and organized and processed yet
1: yeah exactly it's mm-hmm. it's it's hanging out there it's um it's ready to be triggered there's something in there typically i think a lot of times our visual environment but any any one of our senses could trigger a memory like you know most people know like your your sense of uh your olfactory sense is the strongest memory sense so i'm sure certain smells Uh (laughs) there could be some certain clones or some certain thing all of a sudden your entire body is fully hijacked and you are gone you Mm. are no longer present Um, those memories can be hanging out ready to to happen and you have no idea um and so that i think um kind of coming back to like the protocol that the desensitization portion uh of emdr uh is the part where it's gonna some people come in and basically I'll scale it like, so I'll figure out what their subjective units of distress are mm-hmm. from zero to 10, you know, I'll usually try to get 10, 10 memories. Um, and so sometimes I'll, and a lot of times I'll start with the one that's a 10, you know, I want to know, and especially if it's a, um, a, a single incident memory mm-hmm. and what's the first, so when we're doing the wanding and we've done, done the, all of the steps, we've kind of, set up the the event to be processed uh, they're desensitizing and so that's themselves to the memory they're actually feeling probably what they haven't felt mm. uh, you know a lot of times like we'll have a trauma you, maybe you maybe you get in a car accident or something and you don't really have time to feel the feelings about how scary that really was and right maybe you, walked, maybe you walked away this time but the trauma might have been that, like, I don't know that I should have walked away. Right. But you're right away, you, you're out, there's police, there's other people, you're filling out paperwork, you're in the hospital, and now you're home, and, and you didn't have time to talk to anyone about how scary it was to feel like you might have died.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: that is the part that could uh, stay as raw data, that maybe you come into a session and you start to really feel the true fear that a lot of times our brains uh unintentionally we avoid that because we know it's scary we know it's gonna hurt to feel that or or just it's gonna be big right all those scary feelings but until you really feel it um it's staying stuck and um uh yeah just unprocessed so so yeah so the desensitizing Mm -hmm. part would be feeling those feelings, having that subjective units of distress go from a 10, hopefully down to zero. Mm -hmm. And then the reprocessing part is the part where actually we take that positive cognition Mm -hmm. that we would talk about. And I usually, I have a list that can help people kind of figure out. um, The reprocessing would be to actually uh, intentionally sort of like think the more positive belief about yourself onto the visual memory. Mm-hmm. And that's the part where people actually start to feel like, wow, they am okay. Like, right. And, and they start to have new insights, new beliefs about the same event, because we can't change the past, but we right. can definitely um, have new beliefs about
0: it. Th- so. This makes me think of the uh, switching, and this is super generic, right? Is going from the cognition of, like, I was a victim and powerless to actually, like, I, I survived, and I'm, I'm actually powerful and resilient. Um, exactly. Because, exactly. you know, most times when we're seeing clients, like, they're there, so they have survived, right? They they probably did something incredible or, you know, uh, to get through, and here, yeah. here they are, right? Uh, right. So right. It, thinking of that spectrum, uh, that's what it reminds me of anyways. And, um,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of... Um, takes me into like uh i mean that more of my the example that that i want to share is a, is um that really that kind of really i think points to that uh, there was a um a mom who came in to see me she had heard about empr from another therapist i think from like her sibling or something like mm-hmm. that um and she knew she is someone who knows what trauma is and knew that she experienced a trauma but didn't really know and and she had some symptoms like she often felt hopeless uh, you know on a daily basis that she knew felt like was different from many years before the trauma and um, so she knew what she was experiencing was trauma and trauma symptoms but wasn't really sure what exactly was causing them Mm -hmm. so when she did her list her top 10 of worst top 10 best uh, which is kind of what I want my briefest way of taking a history right and, uh, you know you get I just asked for the headlines of the memory and I asked for the age and I asked asked for how distressing it was like mm, okay. and she had a memory from when she was I think four and a half or five Wow and um, she was interacting with uh, with her mom and there was a time and, and she has two older brothers and they were in the backyard playing. And, and it was an attachment wound that, mm-hmm. that occurred. There was, her mom was, um, focusing on something that she was doing as well as her brothers. And, but this, my client as a four and a half year old four or five year old just really wanted her mom's attention at that time. And mm. her mom's reaction was basically, no, like, stop it. I, you know, I, and basically kind of a rejection, like this is inappropriate for you to get my attention right now. Um, and that was the wound, right? For her, she felt very much rejected, right? And we talked about for her, this was the most acute version of a pattern for her, uh, with her mom. So she processed that event more specifically, though, using the EMGR protocol, went through, you know, created the image, uh, felt the feelings, identified the feelings in her body, negative cognition, positive cognition. All of these things, and and the more the most incredible insight that, that it relates to what we were talking about before was, um, you know, what she realized in doing the process was that her mom never really repaired with her, and that was the issue because like you can't expect parents to be perfect. Perfect parents are never going to happen. Right. But one of the things that her mom, that she that she wished that her mom would have noticed that after that incident, she was still kind of acting, acting hurt, mm-hmm. but didn't talk to her. And then she realized, uh, her, she does do that for her kids uh, who repairs with her kids. Uh-huh. And because she was scared that she was doing that same thing to her kids. That right. was one of her other big beliefs that was driving the disturbance. Mm. And so when she realized for in her body that she repairs with her kids, and she even had a couple of examples uh, of her kids that you know she felt like she kind of made a mistake, and her kids came up and said, "Hey, you know that hurt my feelings," and and she said, "You know what? You're right, and I apologize. I'll, I'm sorry about that." And and that key difference mm-hmm. uh, took the subject took the distress level about that memory uh, way down, and she processed the whole. She said, and she even processed things about her mom saying like. My mom wasn't perfect. Uh, it's okay that she didn't repair. It would have been nice. So all these wow. things are just like having a completely different feel to them. And and another way that I've heard it described is it's kind of like, is she went from being inside the memory to you know the memory being kind of the size of like a postage stamp mm-hmm. in her in her memory. So, but that that level of uh, insight about a memory that's so young mm-hmm. uh, was kind of very like striking for me and something that was, that's that's not always, I definitely don't see that every time, but it was a unique, she was uniquely prepared for EMDR and she knew what it was. She could identify trauma. So she was uniquely ready to have that insight as well. But just to give people an idea of like what, what can happen? I mean, you can really change how you feel about something that you previously felt really, uh, it was like a keystone memory
0: for her right yeah. oh that's an that's that's an excellent example and and as you're talking too is what it helps me understand and and and, and i'm so grateful for to, to have this understanding because I, I don't know i don't know much about emdr so i'm, I'm almost like the lay person I, I get it i'm a licensed professional and all that but it's helping me learn in this moment right so what I'm imagining is is taking all these different parts of therapy right that from the the CBT the cognitive behavioral uh, model right of like how we uh, what is the cognition about certain events or about ourselves in certain events or certain stress maybe life stressors Um, the mindfulness and it seems like even the somatic awareness right the the ability to feel fill a feeling and uh, uh, be, become desensitized to it, uh, building the bilateral stimulation. Uh, so it basically, how I'm starting to understand it is: you take all these different components, you put them in an organized manner, and with that bilateral stimulation, it for me it almost seems like, as a therapist, you get to kind of expedite the reprocessing because sometimes when we work with trauma in the past, we can talk in therapy about the same event over and over again and it's it just it can get processed verbally but it's not getting really reorganized in the in the brain's like kind of memory database and it kind of still stays raw and and maybe we even see this right where people we know that are non-clients like family members you you can see them keep, kind of keep replaying or retalking about a, a similar event and it and you know what I like about learning about EMDR EMDR is it seems to um, it, it helps you it helps you integrate it by all of these things you just mentioned
1: it uh it really does and it, it it's um yeah i mean yeah i'm, I'm glad you're saying that because i mean it, it's it it really is like a dual task i mean the the wanding or the bilateral stimulation creates um, i think there's actually a lot of tasks mm-hmm. that are happening for somebody who's um in in say the desensitization phase right um um, uh, but, but yeah, a lot of them are happening really quickly. And, and the, the, the protocol, uh, also kind of like takes it away from me as the therapist, kind of like imposing this on the client, you know, like, so, so the protocol says, you know, to create a negative cognitive, tell me what the negative cognition is. Tell me what the positive cognition is. And the other part that I haven't mentioned yet is, uh, is just like, how true does the positive cognition feel? Mm. Uh, At first, you know, before desensitization and then afterwards, Mm -hmm. because typically, you know, if you're going to have a memory where you weren't safe, saying uh, the positive cognition is I'm okay, it's not going to feel very true. So that's another part of it is that like, not only do I uh, have the positive cognition that I want, but I got to believe it Mm -hmm. uh, when I think about that memory. So. And all these things are, are not about me as a therapist, like trying to get my client to believe that, like it, this, when I trust the process and when I do the, when I help the client through the protocol, mm-hmm. um, it happens. It really does. And that's why I think it's, it's such, such like a passionate, uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to, to get better at it because I really have seen it work and, and I've, I've seen other therapies work too. But this one, I think, when people are ready, when people are in the right place, um, it's a really powerful, really fast-paced insights that that people make, and Mm -hmm. and um, and it's powerful. I mean, and I think uh, I remember I did like this this training at at coffee, you (laughs) know, kind of a brief training on it, and and so it's and I remember one of the things I talked about is that it is powerful, and so you can actually do harm. Mm. Um, So one of the ways that that, you know, I, I, of course, I just want, as a disclaimer, please don't try to do EMDR if you're not trained, if you yeah. have not gotten through proper training. Right. Um, but uh, there are things that, that I do and that I, all EMDR therapists are doing to help clients be ready for it. So, because the way that harmful things would happen is that you do the wanding around a memory and you don't have a sense of groundedness, mm. and you just don't have a sense of what present, the present moment feels like. And then you're kind of just re traumatizing. So if you have it, that's why it's also like a dual task in another way is that you keep in the present moment and the past in mind at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that your body kind of like in your mind has to reconcile with that. Like, you know, if you are really thinking about both at the same time, then you're probably going to have to have to realize that this past one is over. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the other things that just to, in terms of like helping people prepare, you know, we, they train us on how to, there is the preparation things or they call it also resourcing. So again, I, I would quote, I think Laurel Parnell does a great job of talking about, I, I really appreciate the teachings that she talks about in terms of um, making sure that people have like, and these are inner resources. I mean, it, for people who are in the tertiary complex trauma Uh, we need to figure out external resourcing as well Mm -hmm. but um, just keeping in mind with this kind of psychotherapy in the room portion um, I always help people at whatever stage I want them to be able to identify a safe place an an imagined safe place an imagined nurturer an imagined uh, protector and an imagined wise person Mm. um, or figure because each one of those can kind of be helpful with different themes uh, depending on what's disturbing. So if they have, if it's really, really challenging for them to come up with any of those, Mm -hmm. that's helpful for me to know um, as the therapist. And that means we may um, look at some other things, but some people really it's best to use imaginary figures because real people are complicated. Right. Right. (laughs) But we need, we need people to be able to like take refuge in these safe, uh, resources to kind of come back come out of these disturbing memories so so that's one of the ways that I definitely prepare people because it's it's hard work yeah for
0: sure uh, you mentioned earlier too with the, the story about this client you said she was she was ready and and there's this you know to do no harm you have to really make sure someone is ready right especially when it comes to yeah. diving into traumatic you know reprocessing trauma uh, how, how do you assess and how do you know someone is ready for EMDR
1: um yeah i mean i think um depending on how they fill out like so i i have um just a a a fairly in-depth um you know intake form Mm -hmm. where i'm looking at things and then i also have my my list my top 10s list um so sometimes people that who have um i mean and i'm also using my just skills and experience as a therapist and how, how are they talking? How are they, um, you know, some, some, so I'm using the information they're sharing in their, in their, you know, intake forms, but I'm also just looking at like how regulated they are Mm -hmm. in our first session and stuff and things like that. And how are they talking about their day? Are they having challenges just generally staying regulated throughout the day or are you know because some sometimes folks that's just that is how it is one of the ways that they're presenting so um you know uh in terms of helping them stay inside the window of tolerance Mm -hmm. if if they're in and meaning like they're just staying within uh having experiences that they can generally digest right throughout the day um so if they're doing that most of the time and, and how they talk about things um then I, I'm more inclined to start doing some some more EMDR processing. But if not, and if it sounds like there's just a lot of things are just really triggering, I'm probably going to do more resourcing. Mm-hmm. So, and we kind of just and then sometimes I'm I'm just kind of taking my time. I'm I'm doing maybe some processing, talking and educating them about what processing is going to be. We're talking about what's what's going to be challenging. A lot of times I'll ask, um, you know, clients say like. Hey, you know, we're, we're going to do processing next week. So can you make sure to clear your calendar, give yourself like however much time you need afterwards to just kind of walk around and and just, because just, just in case, you know, I think just doing some walking afterwards, taking some time. So, so every client is, that's kind of how every client is tailored a little bit. Um, some folks have a lot of trauma, but they just are really resilient. So maybe we can, right. But, uh, everybody's different, but it's, um, I think it's just also an experience, uh, uh, is, would, would be the answer.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: And it sounds like too, that idea of internal resourcing, you mentioned a few examples, right. Of like, uh, going to finding the safe place or the, the wise figure, things of that nature. Um, it, would that also be examples of, uh, finding ways they can ground themselves in the here and now, um, would, yeah. is mindfulness a part of that internal resourcing, uh,
2: yeah.
1: For sure, and uh, so there's little tricks that a lot of EMDR clinicians use. Uh, you know, so let's say we're, it's, we're closing up the session, um, and and so sometimes you don't always finish uh, processing a memory of uh, all, all eight steps, right? right. So sometimes you got to close it up, so you got to bring them back into the present moment. I might toss them a pillow. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I might ask them to name all the green things in the room. I might ask them to. Uh, we have, might just have like chit chat about mm-hmm. what's going on today and like what are you doing this weekend. Mm-hmm. So I'm bringing them all. The, all these just kind of yeah, orienting to them to like what day of the week is it? Uh, what are you doing tomorrow? And so um, those are the things that that I do to bring them back. And then also there's a container uh, exercise, literally like uh, helping the client imagine. The memory, so let's, so let's say we got 50%, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, of the memory. I would say, all right, uh, you know, 15 minutes or so before the session's over, I want you to take this memory, and I want you to put it inside a safe. Ah. Yeah, it's, this is, it's one of those safes that when you close the door, and the more you twist it, the harder and it's more secure the door closes. So I want you to keep on closing that door, mm-hmm. close it, close it, close it, and I want you to do like a million turns. And that that's going to be there, and we'll open it next time when we need to but uh i want you to really visualize that happening
2: mm-hmm.
1: so just little exercises like that um that are both so yeah like present moment and then also kind of really yeah uh, uh, preparing them to go back out into their daily life because uh definitely don't want people to try to walk out kind of feeling raw and open opened up for sure uh, for sure so yeah
0: um well, all of this has been helpful. I'm curious if you had another example you wanted to uh, bring up or we can save for a future uh, discussion. But I, I think you've done an excellent job thus far really um, giving this uh, um, overview of, of EMDR and trauma. And I, I really do think this will be helpful for the listeners, uh, especially um, you know, those that haven't gone to either therapy or don't know what EMDR is. Um, so I do yeah. appreciate it. But yeah, did you want to share another example or any uh, last... Uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll
1: share. I'll save it for next time. We'll uh, tease it for next time. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I really appreciate uh, you bringing me on here. And and uh, I think that, like, yeah, this, this podcast is amazing, man. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I really am on board with uh, lowering the stigma around therapy in general and hopefully, you know, with just uh, especially right now with everything that's going on. um, I think that uh, there's a lot of folks who may not have accessed therapy that I hope they do. Right. Uh, And just on that note, I mean, I think for the layperson to know, I mean, EMDR, uh, I mean, I think it helps people respond proportionally Mm -hmm. to issues. So EMDR is not going to make you feel better necessarily if you're responding as well as you can to this pandemic Uh, but if it feels like it's more if your reaction feels like beyond it's just really uh, over the top and you're getting a lot of feedback that you are reacting uh, way over uh, what feels typical there may be some aspect of your memory that's being triggered by this but just to kind of put that out there like uh, sometimes life is just hard and, and we have to make adjustments and EMDR doesn't fix uh, life's being hard but it but it just kind of helps people res- uh, have a more healthy response
0: right so. it go in that statement there makes me think it, it builds our window of tolerance right yeah and um, you know in my work and I'm gonna use it here right I, I love using quotes because they're they're easy to attach to right so as you're talking I put out a quote this week and it, it on on the Instagram of this podcast, uh, but it's something I always uh, talked with um, kids and families about was uh, fear the feeling and it'll grow. Feel the feeling and it'll slow. Wow. Um, and I like that. and it sounds yeah. like a lot of what you do in EMDR and why it seems so practical and helpful is it, it, it seems like a really incredible nurturing environment to um, to build that tolerance, to feel those feelings and to reorganize them and, uh, and hopefully, um, Approach future situations with, uh, with more internal resources and and tolerance, and uh, maybe more more adaptive responses to uh, to those stressors.
1: I think it gives a lot of structure for Mm -hmm. those feelings that people may be seriously afraid of um, to be able to know that this this gives them the structure yeah to to process things and to come up with insights for sure. Yeah, I really like that quote. That's awesome.
0: Um, As we wrap up here, uh, any recommended resources if people want to learn more about trauma and or EMDR?
1: Yeah. Um, So uh, one of the best ways that I think, uh, the simplest ways, I mean, I think if you you Google search, you know, EMDR therapist in your area, you probably find some folks. Mm -hmm. Um, You could also go to the emdr international association uh, website Mm -hmm. emdria.org and there is a um, therapist finder basically you put in your zip code you could kind of change it to maybe within the next the the 25 miles of you and you can find all those therapists who are um, emdr trained and certified so i think that'd be a great place to find somebody but um yeah that's a great one and and if folks want to want to reach out ask me or in the you know east bay or bay area uh, i might know a few a few folks and, and at mm-hmm. least find you uh somebody to, to get somebody if you're, if you're interested for sure
0: cool and where can they find your information <laughs> uh,
1: and i'm at uh, danmaincounseling.com. yeah
0: cool um yeah and and i could post all of this in the the show notes as well uh, Peter, like I've talked about Peter Levine, I won't go into the example of the story, but uh, Peter Levine, I think, has great books and 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 I think very palatable information for anybody. Um, mm-hmm. So I, yeah. you know, and Dan Siegel, of course, a lot of good brain integration right. talk and. <laughs>
1: yeah, and thinking. Sorry, yeah. Uh, you thanks for reminding me about books. I mean, uh, high on arrival. Uh, yeah. It's a book about Mackenzie Phillips, uh, and I think that's a really great one. It's not just like a therapist book. Right. It's a book about you know a real person who used EMDR therapy. It's great. That's actually kind of just I think it's a great book for anybody. Um, but there's a lot of books out there. I think the I think um, EMDR uh, is starting to pop up more in pop culture. For sure. Um, I see it on TV and stuff like that. So which I think is great. Oh, absolutely
0: really yeah I, I listen to a ton of comedy podcasts uh, to break up all of the reading the psych readings you know it's like some you know yeah. and uh, I've heard a lot of comed- like popular comedians uh, mentioning have done EM- EMDR and uh, like are recommending it on their podcast and everything I'm like whoa like it's really it is really uh, kind of taking off in popular culture so yeah I think it's great uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah all right Dan well this okay. has been very inspiring I am going to conclude us there. Thanks again. Dan Main, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. Find him at danmaincounseling.com. Perfect. Yeah, thanks, Guy. I appreciate you having me. Man. Yeah, That's thanks. Fun. Absolutely. Thank you.